Pelican fans to another episode of the Midtown Madness podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Joined, joining me is Peter Hale. Pete, how's it going? How are we doing after that that week? It was a bumpy week, but doing all right. You know, um, I think uh, I think we're going to be okay in the long run. Yeah, I really, uh, I think I told you this this basketball season uh, is testing me in many ways in many yeah. ways i think i think this season is tougher than uh last season um i think it, just to follow i mean then then you expected it you know and right. like you knew what you were getting into and i think everybody thought they were getting into one thing this year and i think it's a little bit different than expected i mean coming up on the season it did things started to change a little bit but I, I, I don't know. It, it's a wild ride so far, I think. Yeah, it has been. Um, we were certainly hoping we would get through a season with, you know, nobody was counting on the the new variant that we've all been dealing with. And then, uh, you know, we're obviously dealt the blow of losing Perkins in the 10 minutes into an exhibition game. And it just kind of felt like, oh, come on, <laughs> not again. Like, we can't just have a clean season. You know, I, I really want to know what this team under Travis Ford's going to be like without some major adversity in the offseason. And, and, you know, all that stuff's after we lost an assistant coach, tragically. I mean, the, it, it's been so many things that this, this program and, and college basketball as a whole have gone through. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's the season any of us envision, but um, maybe we'll be able to, uh, to salvage something out of it in the end. Yeah, that's the hope. And, uh, and we're going to dive right into to the week. Well, Billiken fans, uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster of a week uh, in a lot of uh, ways. Um, but uh, let, let's talk about men's basketball. You know, it's, um, yeah, the Archbaron Cup didn't go our way, Pete. No, it didn't. And I really wanted it to because we had lost the last four going into this one. And I was in the house for this one as well. Um, you know, I, I think I've been to every slew game at Dayton that I've lived in Cincinnati, except maybe last season, just because the, you know, pandemic and everything, but um, really had high hopes for this one. And you're right. Didn't go our way. Not much did in this one. What, what is the experience like as a visiting fan at UD Arena? I, I went and I don't think I'll ever go back. And it's not like, I just, with, with my fiery nature it's just not a good situation for me to be in uh but what is your experience like being a, a more mature uh subdued human being than me well, well first let me ask when how long ago did you go to a game there uh i was still in college i think okay so th they that was pre they've actually renovated the arena inside and out um it's actually much nicer it's still the oh, same yeah, no, shape no and shell yeah. Oh no, I, I mean like I don't you just mean the, deal with the hospital. Yeah. 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 So so um I've heard that in terms of and I've never been to VCU, but the two kind of hardest fan bases to deal with in the conference are VCU and Dayton. Um I don't have that firsthand experience with VCU, but I've got a lot of it at Dayton. Um I've probably seen just as many, if not more, games there than Shafitz in the past decade. Um, just because I live, you know, an hour away. Um 
their fans, even though I could not have been more subdued in this game, you know, I, I go in there and people, well, some people had masks on and, you know, it was a super cold night hoods and, and coats and whatnot. So there was nothing like me walking into the arena that showed I was a slew fan. And then I bought a cheap seat. So I was kind of up in the, uh, the top corner and, um, that's right. And I, it's not like, and it was just me. So I wasn't making a whole lot of noise. Uh, not going crazy, anything like that. You know, I probably, I probably had some like shaking my head or hands or whatever reactions to certain things that happened. But when I got up and left, uh, two guys just started yelling at me, just screaming, goodbye, get out of here. You know, like, all like I was like, I could not have been uh, more low key and subdued. I did nothing to earn it. But, uh, but yeah, no matter, no matter what, uh, those Dayton fans, they find a way to kind of harass you, at least on the way out. Um, it happened to me the last game I went, uh, which was our, our game right before the pandemic started in February of 2020. So, uh, you know, we kind of got into it with a with a fan on the way out. Um, and and yeah, that's that's just for whatever reason. It just happens at Dayton, man. Um, I've, I've been to other A-10 gyms and not really had any problems, but uh, that's how they are. You mentioned uh, not a lot went right. One thing that did go right in this game, three-point shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah. We. By the way, I, I need to fully disclose, uh, I turned the game off. Um, just a rough week. I, I, I turned it off with 10 minutes to play. Um, but, I mean, I did really enjoy watching uh, shoot threes in this one. We were nine of 16 for the game and it just begs the question why we didn't shoot more. Um, and I think that probably carried over into the Fordham game, which uh, we'll get to, but um, that's, that's pretty good, pretty good three point shooting. Um, and for whatever reason, we just, as the game went on, not really moving the ball well enough, not finding guys out on the perimeter. Um, but as, as you know, if you said nine of 16 is what it's going to be, um and that we'd go 10 of 12 from the free throw line i kind of thought like well if our efficiency is that good in this game maybe uh maybe we did win this one but um unfortunately that wasn't the case you know and one of the things sully said in our preview of this game was that dayton kind of lives and dies by the three this season and they also only shot 16 and they shot a very respectable seven of 16 from three um so it is one of those games where probably both sets of fans are coming away going uh, we really could have worked that three-point line a little bit more in this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's painfully obvious, though, that the the issue in this game was turnovers and yeah. points off turnovers. Um, you know, Dayton gets 17 points off, uh, causing 15 Billiken turnovers, uh, whereas SLU only gets 10 points off, causing 12 Dayton turnovers. So, I mean, you look at the, like, you know, like you said, the, it was an efficient night all the way around. 42.3 from the field, not great, but decent. Um, you know, the, you know, 9 of 16 from 3, 10 of 12 from the line. It was, it was an all-around good offensive game, save for the turnovers. And once again, um, you know, it's... It, it, it falls under the primary ball handler. Well, it was, well, that's the thing. It's a, it's maybe not a bad offensive game on paper. Um, even though right. maybe 42% not where you quite where you want to be from the field in general, it's not far off. Um, but when you're watching this game, you're watching our offense go down there and 
not not a ton of movement. Uh, we weren't getting much in transition in this game in general. And you had too many possessions where Yuri is getting in deep. You know, he's getting in underneath the free throw line um, and then didn't really have a plan. You know, like I don't know what what this offense was. And we've kind of seen it a few games now where he gets in a little deep and um, doesn't necessarily he'll kind of look around and maybe Jimerson's covered or, or not where he expects him to be or something like that. And uh, he, he's, he doesn't have a whole lot of options. The thing that really got to us early in this one, and, and I guess that was true of the whole game, Dayton, um, you know, they're a young team. It's a lot of freshmen playing, a lot of first and second year players. Um, they are pretty long. They're pretty long and they're pretty athletic. This is a team with a lot of talent. They're going to be a problem for a number of years. They put a little pressure on us early, full court pressure, and converted some turnovers from that. But that, that length was a problem in the half court too. Like I said, he would get in deep and, and Yuri's six foot, you know, he doesn't have, he's, he's not going to be able to just kind of go up with it from six or eight feet out wherever he was. Um, so it was just kind of this turgid offense that we were, were just really struggling to get stuff out of. Um, I, it, so it's, it's not that we were inefficient. It's that we just didn't get enough looks to begin with. We weren't playing with enough pace. And the other thing that killed us here was rebounding. Yeah, um, the, the rebounding is so tough because, again, you're without Martin Linson, who's not a great rebounder, but he's better than Lucina Traore, at least in catching the ball and bringing it down. Lucina's, you know, he Lucina struggles to, 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 to catch it, and he settles usually for tipping the ball out, um, or it ends up getting lost. Um, yeah, I, I just, this game was so frustrating because it just felt like there was, there it just felt like we weren't doing anything. Like it was like that meme with the stick. Like it felt like the beginning of the Fordham game, but for 40 minutes on, on a more important stage, I guess. Yeah. It, um, you know, like we said, it was, it was just a slow bog down kind of not much movement in the offense. We actually did kind of show some, some of that in the, um, in the start of the second half. So we go into halftime down 10. Um, come out in the second half and close it to within three in pretty short order moving the ball around we threw a little pressure at him as well and got uh, I you know even if we weren't necessarily getting turnovers and converting out of that we were clearly getting to Dayton and frustrating them um, I don't think they expected to see that and then kind of over the course of the half we kind of slid back into that same pattern um, of, of just kind of the the, the offense that just grind was just kind of grinding and uh, and not really generating a lot. And then, of course, by the time we kind of start to figure it out again and make a run, it seems to be too little too late. Um, this was a game that was kind of interesting where uh, at the under four media, I don't remember if it was like 320 or something like that, um, a lot of people got up and left. They, they felt like they had the game in hand. And then over the last three and a half minutes, Slew really chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And... Um, you know, it, it, the people who didn't leave at that 320 mark kind of had to stay until the end. There were a lot, like by the time you left, there were a lot of people who had kind of started to leave and then stopped and watched the TVs on the way out because they were like, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure this thing's over. Um, so it was a, it was definitely a frustrating game in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, anytime you, you lose to Dayton, it sucks. Cause then you got to deal with the fan base over there, like you said. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just don't, what I don't, I guess I don't understand is why we don't 
use Hargrove more from three. I mean, the dude is cash. Like, he showed that he's uh, at least still on some point cash money in Fordham. But, I mean, he was he's awesome when he gets open looks at three. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna grab and clutch and hold on to Jimerson for forty minutes, let's throw Hargrove off the same plays. Yeah, we probably need to put him in motion a little bit more. Hargrove is not a guy who shoots his three in a variety of ways. He basically needs a little time and space, and if he has that, like you said, he's cash. Um, but Jimerson has a much quicker release. Um, he can shoot it uh, while, you know, out of a lot of different uh, situations, moving different directions. Hargrove kind of needs to be set. And um, yeah, I don't know why you don't throw him in motion a little bit more. Hargrove's also not a great, he's not great with the ball in his hands. Right. Um, so, Although uh, he did show a little bit different against Fordham. He did. He did. Um, true. Yeah. Early yeah. in the second half. He had a couple tough turnovers in this Dayton game. He kind of has a habit of, you know, off a press break, he'll kind of stop and pull it up a little bit too soon. And he kind of holds the ball away a little far away from his body. And he lost it twice like that. Um, and both were pretty, pretty brutal ones in Dayton. But um, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree that we do need to get a little more creative in terms of getting him and other guys looks from three. It's clear. We've talked about this all season. It's clear that Jimerson has been scouted to where, he's going to have a shadow the entire game. Um, and, and, and now that he's emerged as our number one scoring threat, even under those circumstances, that's just not going to change anytime soon. The, only, the last team that kind of took it easy on him <laughs> in any way, um, he had 13 three-point attempts against, and I think that was Boston College. Um, so, as it, you know, it, it's not that he's not trying to get looks. Um, it, it's, they're just playing him much differently. And to his credit, He's become a scoring threat from everywhere, um, inside out, mid-range, drawing fouls. Um, I, I give him all the credit in the world um, for not just being a set three-point shooter because there are a lot of college players who fall into that trap, and he's not one of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more you can say about this this Dayton game. I know we have a lot, a lot to, to whine about. In the next uh, in the next segment, any any final thoughts on this Dayton game? Yeah, a, a couple of final thoughts on here. I know the officiating um, was driving you crazy, um, <laughs> judging by our uh, official Twitter account during the uh, the the game. Yeah, yeah. I, and and I will say, like, it, I that's look. It's not the reason we lost the game. We we kind of went back and forth with Sully about this. It's not the reason we we lost the game, but it doesn't help when you've brought the game in the second half to within three. 43-40, and, and, and the under-12 media comes when they call a fourth foul on Yuri Collins. And, yeah, that may have been a foul, but I don't know about the, the ones before that. And, and, you know, it was a game they called pretty loose for the most part, except when they didn't. And there were just times where, like, we'd have, like, consecutive touch fouls. Jimerson, in particular, had one that I had a really good look at where it, it, it really was a touch foul. He just kind of had his hand extended a little bit. There was almost no contact and it was a quick whistle. And it was like, you guys, this is happening on every single possession. Why is this suddenly a foul? Um, so yeah. And so it we, happens off the ball to hit him all game. Like, that's, that's exactly right. Off the ball and then he touched. Like, I hate that. Yeah. So, so it wound up being 20 to 13, the foul disparity. And the game was not played that way. You know, there are, there are times where like, a team plays a different style and they 
deserve more fouls and that's fine. That's just how they play. This was not that game at all. And so, um, so yeah, I had written down in my game notes here, uh, UD's first foul in the first half was at the 1240 uh, mark. So, so over seven minutes in before they get their first foul and the students boo and start a, a bullshit, bullshit chant. And it was kind of like, uh, okay. And then in the, in the second half, I want to say it was, it, so in both halves, they did not get their third foul until about 13 minutes in um, both halves. And, and I think at the second half, it was like the 515 left mark before they had their third foul. It was just, it was crazy how long they were going into the halves before they were getting any whistles. Um, kind of puzzling. And I don't mind if they're going to call the game that way, as long as it's even. Again, not the reason we lost. There were a lot of things that went wrong here, but like, man, that didn't help at all. Um, the, feel, the other, Oh, go ahead. Well, I wanted to talk about the officiating kit because, of course, I had a problem, and you know my problem with Dayton bigs is they set the most egregious illegal screens two hands extended half the time pushing away um it was the same thing that the dude uh the prior game i forget who we played even um not i maybe it was iona it was iona it was yeah. in the iona game there was he was getting away like the too many times like you should not have be able to have your hands above your waist setting a screen. Absolutely mm. not. And I've seen too many times where he'll set the screen like this or he'll pull his hands away. Like he'll do the, you know, hands over the crotch position and then he'll pull them away and then push the guy. Like or slip his feet a little early. Yeah, or a little hip check. I mean, mm -hmm. this, this shit is like, it's not basketball anymore. It's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, so the game. Holmes is clearly Obi Toppin's successor in that department, yes. and and I mean in general too. He's a he's a really talented player, and I don't know how long he's going to be at Dayton, but he's he's really good, and he's going to be a problem for us. And honestly, looking through, I know this is a little off off the subject, but I'm still kind of learning their personnel. That was kind of a tricky thing in watching this game. Is there are only a few guys who I really knew who it was. You know, not having the announcers and box score and everything in front of me the whole time. And um, they're, they're young, but man, are they good. They've got some really talented players who look like they're going to be a problem for us. And that's kind of what's so disheartening about this loss being the fifth straight Arch Baron Cup that we've lost is um, I'm looking at this team and how young they are. And Holmes is a star. And then you've got guys like Smith, Elvis, Omzil. They, I mean, they all have the potential to be that kind of Jalen Crutcher-like slew killer. And uh, I, I don't like how the how this series looks in the future because it's not like they've got a big class about to graduate and slew is going to grab this series back for the foreseeable future this is going to be a dogfight. um they're they're good yeah that's frustrating i'm not looking forward to it i'm sick of dayton i don't i don't want to play them anymore um let's move on to fordham man um this game i don't think at this game, I don't think I said a positive thing in the first half. I think I refused to, to cheer uh, after about the first 10 minutes. Anything good, I'm like, this is not good. Like, I, I was shocked that we didn't see Brandon Courtney come in the game. Shocked. <laughs> like, Travis Ford, tra like, clearly this team, like, there has been rumblings. Obviously, Travis alluded to it in the postgame. 
that there was a non-basketball related issue, non-COVID related issue uh, within the program. Um, and he, you know, he, I believe the quote was some things are more important than winning and losing. And I think it was on our guy's mind today. Um, so there clearly was an issue with the team's focus. I mean, I think, I think like, I mean, I think I counted they were sleepwalking during the game. They just looked like they didn't know what the game plan was supposed to be. This looked like the first game off a long COVID pause, and it wasn't. Um, it was Fordham's second game back, and we had had a few under our belt by now. Um, it, that was a hard half of basketball to watch, that first half. It was ugly, and that's even with us kind of scoring a little bit better down the stretch of that half. Um man i i mean fordham so fordham got out to a good start and it was like what eight to two and then ten to four and uh and had a lead for a while in this half and and you, you know we knew fordham was better this season we also knew coming into this game they still no explanation lost their best player um antonio day left the school for undisclosed personal reasons on the 13th which was what two days before this game happened and the day after he hit a game winner at Duquesne um, to lead Fordham to their first ever two and O start in a 10 play. So Fordham's flying high. They lose that guy and then come in and I'm thinking we are going to bury this team. Like absolutely from the jump, bury them. I had, I've never, this is the most certain I've been that we would win big all season. And so to watch that first half and just, probably the most negativity I'd seen all year on uh, social media, whether it be Twitter or message boards or whatever, um, man, that, I, and again, I don't know how we were up six at halftime either. I had good defense, I guess, but wow, was this tough. I was getting major George Washington, 20 point game vibes. It, uh, it, it makes it a game like this makes that game even more incomprehensible. Cause you're like, we, we played like that we were up at half by six and we had 27 points. I, I it makes that game even more confusing. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't. I was the, I was the grumpiest I've ever been at, at Chaffetz. And that includes Santa Clara. Uh, that includes ball state. When I had the, probably the last time I bet on the Billikens, um, it I just I I had had enough. Like I contemplated leaving at halftime. It's uh, it was so bad. Uh, I mean, even even when uh, the announcer announced Doctor Shafitz, he called him Rick. Mm. Like that's how that's how bad this day. Like that's how bad that first half was. Well, it was horrible. We've come to expect that from our public address announcer, but I, well, I guess... It wasn't Guy Phillips. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, okay. It was not. All right. I would have called him by name if it was Guy. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a confounding half of basketball. I wanted, one of the, like, early on, it was just missing layups and short two-point shots. Uh, we only took four three-pointers in the first half. Um, but then as the half went on, it was just turnover after turnover. And just, like, point blank turnovers too like um i i explained to my wife i was like i feel like i'm watching grade school basketball like like the way that they were turning it over was just the kind of stuff that's instructional level basketball like what are you even doing 
really just, um, I think I said it was just confusing to watch. Um, it, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know what more to say than that. There was a, there was a point in the half where we had 10 turnovers and nine points. And I was just like, uh, this seems bad. Um, I don't even really know what else to say about it. I mean, that it, like the idea that I mean, how much did we bitch about not being able to break the press under Cruz? Yeah, yeah, like, we de- we've definitely got to work on that press break because putting two guards in and then putting all the other three guys way at the end at the other end, that's not a press break. You know, just counting on those two small guards to bring it up. And they're not exactly. I mean, they're not like. Yuri Collins is a great passer, but his ball security is suspect. It really is. It's what's going to keep him from the next level. So it keeps him from being an All-American. Yeah, those um, aren't blow-by guards. Yeah, no. So, I, 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 again, we shoot 5 of 10 from 3. So that's two games in a row we've shot 50% from beyond the arc. Yeah. Oh, sorry, which, 5 uh, of 20. Sorry, yeah, no, we, wait, no, they shot 5 of 20. We shot 5 of 10. Yeah, we're just not shooting it enough from from three. Um, I, I which I don't I don't understand. Um, you know, look, it was, as ugly as the offense was in this one, um, even though it, you know we, we did improve in the second half, you got to give credit to Slew's defense here. You know, they 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 held uh, Chuba Ohams to eight and eight. Um, you know, they didn't force a whole lot of turnovers here. Fordham only had ten turnovers. Um, but they just didn't get good looks. And, um, and on the occasions they did, they didn't make most of them. Um, so a little luck there too. But um, that, that is something that could be said for the Dayton game as well. Our defense actually has been pretty good these past two games. Um, as, as frustrating as these teams have, or these games have been to watch. I'm curious uh, your take on the four minutes for Markai Strickland. I know we're getting way deep dive into who played and who didn't or whatever, uh, or minutes played. But uh, when Markai Strickland entered the game, the reason I'm asking this, because when he entered the game, Travis ripped him a new asshole. Um, and I don't, I think it was a, it was an inspirational, like yelling, like, this is your opportunity. Go take it. As he and was going like, in. Yes, yes. Okay. So it was like, uh, the, and the, this was the conversation I had with who I was sitting next to is like, he, he said, I took it as, you know, this is your shot. I'm yeah. giving you an opportunity. And then he only plays four minutes. What did you see in that four minutes from him? Because, I, I mean, I, I struggle to keep track of a lot of the minutia being in the arena. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and some of that stuff, like you just explained, like for, Ford, uh, you know, really being animated as he goes into the game is the kind of stuff that I don't see um on tv but uh, honestly not a lot i mean he had two turnovers and nothing else in those four minutes um you know and i i with both him and another guy he brought in for just three minutes rashad williams i don't necessarily um i i don't i i don't feel like 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 okay strickland's been given some chances here and there are some other guys who aren't getting minutes at all um you know whatever but he's getting these little chances and I just don't think he's necessarily being put in a position to succeed. If that makes sense. I don't think the situations and the times that he's coming in, he's necessarily being um, uh, given the best opportunities. Now he did start that one game a few games ago uh, when we came out of break and uh, unfortunately had two quick whistles. So you don't, you do kind of wonder if he doesn't pick up those fouls, maybe that's the game that where he kind of breaks through. 
But the other guy, uh, Rashad Williams, um, only getting three minutes. I've said this in other formats, but Williams is one of these guys, volume shooter. That's what he is. He's not a ball handler. He's not a distributor. He's not a high level defender. He's a volume shooter. If you bring him in, you need to give him like five, eight, 10 minutes straight to give him a few attempts to kind of let him, you know, get a sweat going and get in rhythm because that's when he's effective. If you look at his game log from Oakland, he would have a game where he goes like nine for 12 from three. And then the next game, he might go two for eight, but he's a guy who needs those minutes to kind of be effective in what he does. So bringing him in for three minutes, he might get one or two attempts, but he's not going to give you what you want out of him. If you, you either need to play him or not. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't understand, uh, a lot of uh, the minute distributions, um, especially when it comes to the guys towards the end of the bench. Um, I like what we've seen uh, or what uh, DeAndre Jones has given us um, in his, his, his minutes. Um, I think he's been a, a nice compliment to Yuri Collins, although I don't think it's the best partnership. Um, as far as, you know, just, I don't, I don't know if they truly gel together and, 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 you know, I don't know if you see something different. They did in the second half here. When he first came in and they were next to each other, you were kind of like, okay, this isn't working at all. But to 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 their credit, nobody was, was working in the first half. I don't understand what happened in the first half. Um, but um, I think over the course of the game, they did. Because you look at the end of the game and Jones ends up with nine points, 10 rebounds, and three assists. Um, so we kind of settled into a nice game after that. We've seen some recent games where Collins winds up with some pretty high rebounding totals. It seems like one of those two is going to grab kind of those long rebounds. Um, but regardless, um, they, they, they did kind of get into more of a rhythm as the game went on. But I agree those two together maybe isn't the kind of look you want to run, um, you know, 25 plus minutes a game in, in conference. Uh, one of the, the kind of moments in the game, I thought, was kind of where you knew that it was the Billikens were going to pull away and, and, and pull it out. Um, the Fr Francis Okoro turning it on in the second half. Uh, I think he, I, I don't have the number in front of me. Like I don't have the half distribution, but if you told me that he went over four in the first half and five of five in the second half from the field, I would tell you, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, um, so what, what, yeah, so he's five. Yeah, right. Exactly. He's five of nine in this one. And, and I completely agree with you because in the first half, five in a row in the second half, I in the first count, half, I started I, counting. I'm like, they were Yuri assists. Yeah. I think he had at least three of those misses in the first half because I, I can remember uh, a couple of those in particular where you're just, it's either like he doesn't dunk it when he could dunk it, or you just wonder how he missed the layup. Um, if, if he could kind of clean up his finishing, he could, man, he could push 65% for the season uh, from the field. Um, he's had a lot of kind of point blank misses that I don't necessarily understand. And it always feels like because of the nature of those misses, it always feels like he's missing more than he actually is. Um, Cause I think he is still over 50% for the season. Um, but yeah, you, you know, credit to him for also kind of settling into a good game um, eventually over the course of this thing and, and bringing home 10 rebounds. Rebounds were actually a big factor here. We out-rebound Fordham 48 to 26. Now we do have 13 offensive rebounds. And unfortunately, 
second chance points were not good there, only getting five, uh, five second chance points. Um, but winning the battle of the glass here did wind up being one of the deciding factors. You pointed out, I think, on Twitter, uh, because God knows when somebody has something like insightful to say on Twitter, it ain't me. Um, <laughs> so you had a you had a thought on Lucina Triore in this one. You yeah, in the breath. and I, I shouldn't have called it a hot take. I was just trying to be a little cheeky there. I, I hate the phrase or whatever, but um I his his defensive minutes on um Ohams were better in the first half than Okoro's. Um I thank God Okoro figured it out in the second half and turned it on. Um, but Traore, I, I thought played up just straight up defense on Ohams better. Seemed to be frustrating him. Um, uh, baited him into some some bad shots, and then after he'd miss, uh, scoop up the rebound. I thought his defensive minutes were great in the first half. Um, as as hard as that first half was to watch, you know, uh, maybe I was looking for silver linings, but I I, I think there are some signs of of things that he's done out there um, that are promising, and he did end up with nine rebounds in seventeen minutes. So there there's there are definitely some some pieces to build on there even though he's still pretty raw yeah any any final thoughts on this one any i mean let's i mean like i said this game was like i said on uh, carter chapley's twitter space after the game uh this game really was a hangover uh you you just needed time to let the advil kick in and uh you finally were able to be a little bit productive with your day yeah uh, that's kind of how i felt this game went um which, yeah i mean i mean they kind of were suffering from a hangover if whatever you know happened was really uh you know that that unnerving yeah you're right and hopefully we get more clarity um you know and and because our, our first thought was maybe it's related to we did have two guys out for covid reasons thatch and linson linson said they said they were he was out for covid reasons in this one and didn't bring up his ankle so maybe he was ready to go um, and then had a positive test. So hopefully we see those guys back, um, if not the next game, next weekend. Um, but uh, but a, just a couple extra points in this one. Um, there were no blocks for either team. I was trying to think of another game where I had seen that happen, and I, I just couldn't off the top of my head. It seems like something that might be kind of hard to look up, but I thought that was weird. Uh, no blocks. Uh, we talked about the two players who were out for COVID. This was Ford's 100th win at SLU. He's the fifth coach to reach that mark. So that makes him, you know, the fifth winningest coach in SLU history, um, ho hopefully with a lot more to come. And um, I, th I think that's that's pretty much the, the, the game summary here. I think if I'm making one more point, Jimerson finished with 19. He was uh, two of three from three. He was three of four at yeah. Dayton. So again, two of three, three of four. Dude's just not getting enough looks from three. Um, but at the same time, he has scored, what, 42 points over the last two games. So he's finding a way to be effective and get points. So all credit to Jimerson for that. But uh, let's let's keep trying to get our guys some looks out there. I'd love to see Jimerson shoot off the dribble more. Just pull up three. See what happens. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I, it doesn't happen. Like, if he's not getting looks off of – off of screens and you know uh passes and head fakes like why not give him the ball and let him go one-on-one -on -one with somebody you know yeah but how often does he have the ball uh 
in his hands outside the perimeter when it's not just going to be a shot. You know what I mean? Like there aren't many instances where he's moving with the ball between the half court line and the three point line. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all because like I said earlier in the show, I think he can hit threes in a variety of ways. So as far as I'm concerned, he's got a green light from anywhere at any time. Absolutely. Um, next on the uh, agenda, UMass, uh, the, the quote unquote flagship. And uh, I think, uh, uh, I don't know who tweeted it out, but uh, of course they're going to look like all Americans against us. Uh, they're coming off uh, a, quite a rough night in uh, Rhode Island. Yeah, against Rhode Island. Um, I, I think it was actually at their place. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, this is so. So the game that we are going to play, I believe it's on Thursday, the 20th. Do I have that right? Um, th this is the makeup from the, the uh, what was supposed to be our first A-10 game on um, on December 30th. So um, we're actually we've actually got kind of a quirk in the schedule here where we're going to play kind of a home and home in the same week against UMass. They're going to come, um, or, or sorry, I guess we're going to go there first on Thursday, and then they'll come back to SLU on, on Sunday to play an afternoon game. Um, but yeah, this, this game, uh, UMass loses 81-68 to Rhode Island, and uh, this is now an 0-4 start in conference for them after having lost to Richmond by eight, lost to Duquesne at home by four, and then they lost at Davidson by 10. Um, you know, none of those results... Uh, are, are horrible in terms they, it's not like they're blowouts or anything like that you hate to lose to Duquesne this season especially at home um, but yeah Rhode Island beating them by double digits at home is, is not a good look yeah I mean it's uh, I UMass and I, I it, it amazes me how UMass and St. Joe's have kind of fallen on the times they have it's two very proud uh, traditional tradition programs and uh, they just don't seem to to be doing anything, you know. Um, yeah, they've got. I mean, Noah Fernandes is kind of their talisman to steal uh, a soccer word. Uh, Butrick can shoot, I believe. Or no, no, it's not Butrick. It's um, Ryan. No, sorry, Rich Kelly. Rich Kelly can shoot the ball. Um, he was kind of the guy trying to pull them back. I think in that uh, in that Rhode Island game. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we, we had mentioned this team uh, when we kind of did a little overview heading into the conference schedule. They really don't have a lot of depth. Um, you know, their top four guys are, are double-digit scorers, um, and, uh, and they've got a guy who averages nine, and it kind of, kind of falls off after, after that. They don't, uh, don't really have a, a bench here. Um, I also didn't realize until recently for Noah Fernandes is, is it Fernandes or Fernandez? I always want to say Fernandez. Fernandes, I think. Yeah. He's uh Marcus Camby's cousin. Um, wow. I, 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 at least Camby called him cousin on Twitter. So, um, so anyway, <laughs> fun fact. To steal, to steal a line from a buddy and he'll know, yeah. Uh, you know, he, you mean you guys are so close. He's like your cousin and your brother. Like that's, that's essentially what, what we're saying. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, this has to be a win. It has to, uh, and Travis, I'm sure we'll have a little, uh, a little extra, uh, you know, reason to, to take it to UMass and I'm sure UMass will have a little extra reason to try to get, uh, 
get one over on uh, Travi, as they call him. Yeah, I, I, we gotta we gotta win both of these. You know, UMass is zero and four. They're not good this year. This is probably the last we're gonna see of uh, McCall at UMass this season. Um, but I can't imagine they suddenly turn things around this year. But we've got to take both of these. Um, yeah, I think that's it for us. Um, oh, sorry, no, one more thing. Um, so a uh, piece of bad news uh, in the, I guess in the Billiken world, in the basketball world as a whole, but um, uh, Joe, Joe B. Hall uh, passed away this, this week. Uh, Pete, kind of fill everybody in on, on who he was. Yeah, so Joe B. Hall, um, is, it's an interesting story from a Salus perspective. So, so pretty much everybody knows him as a legendary Kentucky head coach. Um, and he, he died on the, fifth, on the morning of the 15th at uh, the age of 93 at home of cancer. Um, and I, again, I want to tip, tip, tip of the hat to Joel Hall, um, who goes by the torch on Billikens.com, but um, saw this on Twitter in the morning. You love doxing people. <laughs> well, I think he appreciates the shout outs because he really does yeah, his homework does. on some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and not only did he kind of bring up the story of how this related to SLU, but he shared uh, snippets of the old post-dispatch articles from back in the 60s when this all went down. Um, but Joe B. Hall was technically the head coach at SLU for a few days back in 1969. Um, he was an assistant at the University of Kentucky under Adolph Rupp, you know, who their court is named after, um, legendary UK coach. Um, who was there for decades. And he interviewed for the SLU job to replace Buddy Bremer, who had gone six and 20 in the 68, 69 season. And then he resigned and Hall signed a four-year contract to be the head coach at SLU. And then Kentucky convinced him to stay. Um, basically Rupp told him he'd be resigning in two years and, and Kentucky, I, I don't know, probably gave him a salary raise and all kinds of stuff to kind of keep him to be Rupp's successor and waiting. Um, Rupp wound up coaching three more seasons and then Hall goes on to coach 13 years at Kentucky, um, made 10 NCAA tournaments and, uh, eight of those, he made it to the sweet 16, six times, as far as the elite eight, three final fours. And then, um, he's got a championship and a runner up there. So, um, not only was he making the tournament, he was, he was going on runs every year and even won the NIT one of the seasons they didn't make it. But anyway, he had this reputation as a big time recruiter. Um, and replacing Rupp, who was famously racist, um, he, he made it clear when he was the head coach there that, you know, we're transitioning to a modern era and he would be recruiting black players. So he kind of was not only an effective coach in, in, you know, recruiting and making them a good team that made deep runs every year. Um, he modernized them in terms of, you know, bringing in black players to the program and, and really changing Kentucky's reputation that way. Um, so he goes on to this a great career at Kentucky. And in the meantime, SLU hires Bob Polk, um, who went uh, 72 and 60 over five years and never made the postseason. Um, so not a, not a bad coach necessarily, just not, um, not great. And so this, this, this is one other, yet another one of SLU basketball's big kind of what ifs, you know, um, what would happen if he wound up being our head coach, Joe B. Hall, instead of Bob Polk. Um, maybe we would have seen a different era of slew basketball and, and who knows what it would have become. Um, but instead he just kind of becomes an interesting footnote in our history. I was going to get, I was going to sleep well tonight. I really was. Thank you for, for telling me that we, 
uh, could have had a legendary <laughs> head coach, and then we did. Well, you know, who's, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, there were, obviously Kentucky's already the bigger and more established program if he's under Adolph Rupp for like 20 years or whatever, but uh, you, you never know. I mean, the guy was considered a big-time recruiter at the time, and uh, it, it's, it's, I guess, one of those things that's kind of fun to contemplate, but um, – if you, if you get a chance, if you're curious as to, um, you know, the articles um, about this, uh, look, look up Joel Hall's Twitter uh, a feed and uh, he, he actually shares like the article from right after SLU hired him. So in kind of this few day stretch before he decided to stay at Kentucky and then Bob Bragg, a legendary post-dispatch columnist, um, just lashed out at Hall basically in a, in a column after he uh, reneged on his contract with SLU. So um, both of those are pretty interesting reads if, if you're curious to kind of get a little more context on all of this. Uh, yeah, yeah, Joel R. Hall, Joe R. L. Hall. I think it's, an, I think it's two, yeah, I think there's an L. Yeah. Um, but one of the cool actual uh, kind of uh, Bill Sweep twin Bill from Northern Illinois, that's kind of, that's kind of a cool little addition. They like a little. Uh, it's got a box score and a little write up from the uh, from the baseball team that year. So that's kind of interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slew slew history buffs definitely check that one out and uh, rest in peace, uh, legendary head coach Joe B. Hall. Pete, we're bringing in. We, we got a, a special guest coming in to talk with us, and uh, it's Patrick Schulte. Um, but let's talk about the draft as a whole before before we get over to that interview. Um, what what a, what a day that was. It started, the day started out wonderful for Billiken Nation. Yes, yes, it did. So, it, I mean, it was, you know, it was an exciting day. I mean, I knew as the day was going on, it became clear that we, we were going to play the game in Dayton. You know, we had traveled the day before and I had team shoot around and there was no sign of anything. So I went ahead and bought the, uh, I bought a ticket, got the $5 ticket with seven ninety five in Ticketmaster fees, which I loved um, and made the trek up to Dayton. But as I'm kind of like, you know, laying the groundwork and planning all that, we've got this MLS super draft going on and uh, it's, it's, it had a lot of Billiken flavor. It was, uh, it was, the day was really promising too. Um, no, it was awesome. Uh, I, a little surprise. There, there was a little surprise. I think a lot of people took that top drawer soccer article as gospel. Um, and why not? I mean, top drawer soccer is the premier. Um, I mean, I guess they almost specifically deal in, in college soccer. They are the premier voice of college soccer in the United States. Yeah. And they also cover high school and to an extent the pros and, you know, like lower leagues and everything. Um, they, they try and cover, uh, you know, the whole American soccer pyramid as, as it were. Um, and, you know, um, I, I think they do a pretty good job of that, of covering amateurs and pros all the way through. Um, but yeah, definitely if you're a college soccer fan, they, they, they cover it pretty well. And yeah, we all got pretty excited by that first mock draft and it was, it didn't exactly play out, but like that, but, Honestly, having seen enough NBA, um, NFL, other mock drafts and sports, they did a pretty good job. I mean, you know, it was it was clear that those top four Billikens were going to go pretty high and, and they they all wound up going pretty high. I mean, they were 
uh, what top drawer soccer had them all within the first 15. They, they were pretty close. They, they, they didn't necessarily have the order and the teams, right. But how, how often do, uh, do draft uh, prognosticators ever nail that stuff? You know, uh, they're like weathermen. They, they get paid to, <laughs> to, you know, it's, it's like a, a baseball hitter. Like, you know, it's the hardest, uh, the hardest thing to do in sports, hardest thing to do in media is predict the weather. Sure. Um, no, it, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I just want to point out that I was all over the top, the, the two of the, two of these, you know, 15 picks. I knew Isaiah Parker and I knew Kip Keller were uh, big time and going to be important at the next level um, to a team. Yeah. So I just, I, you know, I'm, you know, you know, tooting my own horn over here. Um, no. Uh, yeah. Isaiah Parker going number three. Um amazing for uh a, i mean he's a, a guy who left as a freshman yeah yeah and he went to uh he went to fc dallas um and you know he's one of these guys who's just um I, i've said it so many times on the show but like the first time i saw him touch the ball and and you know take a few dribbles it was just clear that he was playing with a different level of skill than pretty much everyone else on the field and and that his future was bright uh you know we didn't know uh, how great he was going to be and how fast and, and how much upside that, uh, that the scouts would all see in him. Um, but this is really exciting to see him go number three overall to FC Dallas so young. Yeah, for sure. So we had, let's, let's run down the draft. Um, first of all, we said Isaiah Parker, he goes to FC Dallas. Um, I mean, I, 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 I think both of us can admit we don't watch the MLS. Um, uh, to an ex any extent, other than if it's on on ESPN and uh, you know nothing else on, I'll watch it. Um, but I mean that's uh, yeah, I, I like all these. I mean, as far as like the the longevity and the the sustained kind of relevancy of these clubs, um, you know, FC. I mean, they are in the you know the they're in the top of the first round for a reason. They're not that good, but. Um, yeah, I mean, these clubs have rich history, except, you know, save for uh, Austin FC. Yeah, which is where Kip Keller went number five. Um, you know, that, that top draw soccer had him going number one overall. Um, as time went on, they were kind of saying, okay, maybe number one or number two. Um, and then it, it kind of became clear the top couple teams had different plans. So he almost feels like a steal at number five for Austin based on kind of the pre-draft buzz. Um, you know, and I saw some quotes for him today, how excited he is to go down there, how much he, he likes the, the club and the city. And he's just, you know, absolutely focused on winning, um, obviously saying all the right things. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting to see him go to a new team. And you got to think, even though teams like FC Dallas and Austin aren't in great shape now, that probably means more opportunities for these guys. If you're, if you're a talent, the level of Parker, or if you're, uh, you know, a, a talent, the level of Keller back there. I think uh, these are guys that they might be kind of looking to build around in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've been drumming up that, you know, Kip Keller is, is the perfect piece. If you want to start from the center back out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. A guy you can definitely build around. Yeah. He's, I mean, he was a, he was a shutdown defender that, that saved, um, you know, Patrick Schulte, a lot of work. He, I mean, let's not, let's not mince words. Patrick Schulte is a great goalie, but Kit Keller made some fantastic desperation saves in the box um, to prevent glorious opportunities throughout the season. I think 
I want to say like, Fordham for sure. That that Fordham game that got dicey or whatever. Um, yeah. And it was either Fordham or Duquesne in the A10 tournament. But uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for all these guys. I I really hope they they get a real shot, and I'm sure I'm sure that that at least that that first four will definitely have their opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Schulte at number 12 to Columbus and Betcher at number 16 to Vancouver. Um, so, you know, that's that's only, I think SLU's now only the third program in history, college program in history with four first round draft picks, um, which is pretty impressive, you know, and, and we had six overall picks when you've got number 60 Chandler Vaughn going to LAFC and then number 66 Chase Neese, both of those are in the third round and he went to FC Dallas to join Parker um, so six overall picks, it's the most Slews ever had in a single draft. So, um, so big time performance by the Billikens here. Uh, some more, some unfortunate news um, coming out of the Billiken soccer program. Uh, former Slew All-American Mark Fredrickson uh, passed away this week. He is a member of the Billiken Hall of Fame uh, and, and was a big part of the Billiken soccer program. Yeah, he was a, a honorable mention All-American in 79 and then second team All-American in 1980. Um, and then wound up playing some some pro soccer with the Kansas City Comets and then the St. Louis Steamers and Storm. So he's actually a guy I saw play some uh, some indoor soccer growing up in the uh, in the arena. And um, it was one of those names like, man, I kind of vaguely remember that. And then as I kind of started to look it up, uh, it kind of connected the dots there. So um yeah, unfortunate, uh, went too soon, you know, still fairly young. Um, and uh, it's always sad to, to lose a, a Billiken great, and we just wanted to kind of pay our respects. Um, some kind of in the middle news, I don't, is not good or bad. Uh, Mike Sorber joins Bob Bradley's staff at Toronto FC. Yeah, Sorber had been an assistant at LAFC. He's kind of been bouncing around the coaching ranks, but, uh, you know, joining Bob Bradley, who's a pretty well-respected guy within, within coaching, especially within MLS, former men's national team coach. Um, and, uh, and this is, uh, I think it's a pretty good move for Sorber. Um, unfortunately, none of the Billikens will be playing directly for him, um, at least at this time. Um, but Toronto's pretty good, and uh, Bradley's a nice guy to, uh, to work with. And certainly, I know Sorber is a guy who's well-known within the national team program as well. I'm trying to remember. I'm looking on Wikipedia, and I'm not really getting anything just, like, flat out telling me. But I believe Sorber was an assistant with the U.S. national team under Bradley as well. He was. I'm, um, I don't remember the exact uh, well, I know years that, years he... that uh, he was an assistant with the United States from 2007 to 2011. And then uh -huh. I guess I just could have Googled Bob Bradley, couldn't I have? To see, <laughs> to see yeah. if that lined up. Really I mean, good. that's so um, that's about right, because I know Arena was the uh, the national team coach at the 02 and 06 World Cups. Um, so so it, it sounds like this is a reunion. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, Bob Bradley was uh, the head, the man in charge uh, from 2006 to 2011 for the United States. So that yeah, that's yeah. so that makes sense. I mean, you, you, you know, uh, Travis Ford to tie it all in he does the same thing he, he he knows who he works well with and he brings he brings those people and keeps them around you know we look at mike wilson uh travis giagua um uh, uh, you know th those guys he he's known previously so he brings them in 
here right. in St. Louis. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all we got for soccer. I think. Um, maybe we can. Uh, I'm just gonna pause there. I'm gonna stop there. I lost. All right, Billiken fans. Uh, we are bringing on the newest member of the Columbus Crew organization, um, Patrick Schulte. Patrick, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time with us, man. How's it feel? No, first off, thanks for having me. But uh, it feels really good. You know, just got up here yesterday, and you know, this whole week's been been crazy but exciting. Um, what what were they? You, you see the mock drafts and everything uh, coming out. When do you kind of get an idea of where you're gonna go? And do you how much of a of a um, lead time do you get to where you know for sure who's taking you? Uh, the mock drafts and all that, you know, uh, they're all different. You know, everyone's got their own opinion. So I really just listened to my agent, you know, what my agent was telling me, what teams were interested, uh, where, where he saw me falling. Um, so that, that's really who I listen to and, you know, where I go for my information. But, you know, the lead time, he found out right before the pick. Um, but I, did, I didn't know. He, he told all my friends that he was standing by. And I, I think someone got to my dad, but, you know, he let me have – the, the thrill of finding out in the moment so that's cool did you uh do you do like individual do you meet with teams or do workouts for them or is it kind of like one big workout you know we're, we cover a lot of basketball here and are kind of yeah. used to the nba draft and i'm just kind of curious how it's different yeah it's it's similar in a way you know we have a combine um and that was it was during the final four so it was a week after we lost uh washington um we all went to north carolina and there was 44, I think, guys, um, they took you through skills testing, you know, testing your 40-yard your dash, your quickness, your jump, and then it, it was just playing 11 v. 11, just trying to get this, you know, see guys um, in their position and where they where they might be able to play as a pro. Um, and then while you were there, there's, you know, all the teams are staying in your hotel, so you have individual meetings. Um, I know some guys, you know, even after the combine had Zoom calls uh, with teams, so, you know, it's, it's kind of similar, just, but you don't have the individual workouts, I, I think. So by the time you get to the combine, are the, are the guys there? Do you know you're all going pro already? Or are some people like, uh, you know, heading back to college because maybe they're not ready yet for whatever reason? Yeah, no, it's, it's all different. You know, there's, there's some, there were a lot of freshmen or underclassmen on um, that were at the, the combine and to go pro in soccer as, uh, in college to go into the draft, you need to get a thing called Generation Adidas, which is only offered to underclassmen. Um, and it's basically guaranteeing you a contract. And the only way you can get that is if a team uh, says that they're gonna take you with their pick in the first round. And it's only offered to a select few guys. So, you know, this year there was only eight of them. Um, previous years, sometimes there are only four or six. Um, but so that that's the younger underclassmen. And then some guys um, that were seniors, that were eligible for the draft that could have went, but then after once they you know talked to their agent or whatever, they could have decided to take their COVID year. So it's kind of all di all different. What was, what's the process of signing a Generation Adidas contract? I mean, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a different. It's something that I think a lot of people aren't used to because with MLB, NFL, NBA, they all all the teams sign uh, with a team, whereas Generation Adidas is not technically on the team's payroll, right? Yes. So it's the teams go to the league, basically, and then the league will pay your salary for 
however long that contract is. So the team has your option on your option years. Your team has the choice if they want to sign you or like re-sign you back for your fourth year, whatever, however long your contract is with the options. Um, and the MLS is paying for that. But they, they go to the MLS and say, you know, we really like this player. We're going to take them with our pick. And then the MLS will go to the player and the agent and say, look, he's, we're going to offer him a generation to do this contract. Would you guys take it? If yes, then they write you up your contract and then, yeah, you can negotiate kind of all that, all that jazz. And then the contract gets transferred to the individual team after that. Yeah. So, so from my, my standpoint, you know, I have my contract and I signed it with, with the MLS before the draft. So I was guaranteed this money. And then that goes when the crew signed me, then I basically become a crew player, but the league still pays me. So, but the Columbus crew still have all the the say in what they do with me. But yeah, you mentioned talking with your agent and how you know he kind of guided you through the contract process. Did you uh, were you in contact with any alumni, uh, Billiken alums? Uh, for, did they give you any any sort of advice? And who might that have been? Uh, it wasn't alumni um, that went to SLU, but. You know, goalkeepers, we have like a small group called the Goalkeeper Union. Uh, probably heard about that. But so I got a lot of professional friends um, that have, you know, been through the league, um, that have played professional for seven, eight years. So I've, I've talked to a lot of them. Um, and then just I talked with Kalish a lot and the coaching staff. So I, I had a lot of a lot of information being thrown my way, definitely. So was there ever a. a a discussion of maybe testing the European waters. I know it's it, soccer is such kind of an interesting thing because the American League, unfortunately, is not the premier, uh, you know, stage for for soccer. So did you ever consider trying that that route or was that kind of ship sailed when you went to college? Uh, no, definitely it was talked about, but, you know, it's just a short time window. You know, you I'd have to kind of go over there now um, and you know, they, it's not very common that a college player signs with a team over there in Europe. Um, so I would probably had to go on trial, which could be, you know, a month. And, and then you never know. And then by that time, you know, the draft's over with. So you're kind of, you're, you're gambling there. Um, but for me, you know, that's, that's where I want to end up. And, um, you know, happy with the crew. Um, but, you know, I'm obviously want to achieve, achieve world success. So, um, yeah, I'm just using every opportunity I get. And, you know, hopefully one day I could possibly end up over there. You know, speaking of the crew and their plans for you, I'm wondering, um, I've, I've seen some stuff written that this is the inaugural year for the MLS next uh, uh, league and that you might start there. Is Have you talked to them at all about kind of what their long-term plan is and, and, and whether you'll start with crew two or, or how that's going to work out? Yeah, no, I... On draft night, they, they gave me a call, um, and yeah, they 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 said they see me as a future. Um, I obviously, I got to develop right and you know work hard and you know grow into it. Um, they got a good goalkeeping room right now um, with a lot of experience. So they seem they said they see me getting games with the crew too. Um, but you know they said don't don't put you down as that. You know try and be the one, and um, we're giving you the opportunity. So just make the most of it. Um, talk to me about the end of that Duke game. Cause I got, I got to know, I got, I got Harry there at the end and 
and of course you had the uh, the build up with uh, with uh, Ulfersen. Uh, I mean, what what was it like? Was there was there shit talking going on in that game leading up to that? Because I know I I've sat behind you at a women's game, and you're you're a decent shit talker. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it's it's the basketball in me. I'd say that comes out. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of shit talk just throughout throughout the game. But you know, it was I I don't blame the kid, but. I, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to him in that moment. Um, it was just, I think it was just the emotion of the game. It was, it was a high stake game and it was chance in the elite eight and your season just kind of gets ended. And, and I, I don't think he meant to do it, but you know, it's just, it's just your emotions getting the best of you. But yeah, there was, there was a, there was quite a bit of shit talking, you know, throughout each team, both teams going throughout the game. Uh, I, I think uh, I still, every time I watch Dayton women's soccer, uh, I'm reminded of the goalkeeper. They wouldn't put her arm. Like, I, like that sticks in my like, – it's it's like that arrow in the FedEx logo. I can't unsee it now, so thank you for that. Yeah, uh, no problem. You um, know, I'm I, – I, yeah, we, we kind of – I knew Duke was kind of going to be like that after seeing the highlight from what was it, UCLA, the game before you guys, where uh, mm -hmm. they had kind of a controversial play in that one as well. So you guys go out to Washington. I'm curious, what was the feeling like that you had and that the team had when you saw what that field was going to be like? It it was a little bit of a shock, um, you know, just because our field at Herman Stadium is probably one of the best, and um, Duke's Duke's field was very nice as well. Um, it's just something you've you've never experienced, but you know, it was kind of just we got we're going to have to play through it. We we know we're going to have to play through it and just kind of roll up your sleeves, do the work, and. No, it wasn't the outcome we wanted, but we, we both teams had to play through it. So, yeah, that that game really was the. Uh, but could they do it on a rainy night in Stoke? That that really was the kind of. Uh, yeah. Uh, talk to me about uh, golf, man. You're you're a, you're a big golfer. Um, how how good are you at golf? I'm okay. Uh, in my family, I, I'm okay compared. To my family, I'd say I had a cousin. She played on the LPGA. Uh, my sister, she goes to Missouri State, and and my dad's before knee surgery was was competing with her. So I was third in my family. Um, so I'm I'm nothing not compared good compared to them. But um, when I go play with my friends, I'm I'm one of the better ones. So I'm I'm all right. I'm trying to get better. So hopefully now that I have more time in the summer after practices and stuff, so I hopefully I can work on my game. You know, I'm I'm curious uh, to, to kind of circle back a little bit. How soon? Yeah, when... please. I, I I'm scatterbrained. <laughs> so yeah, he he knows he knows me well enough by now that he's like he's a guy. I gotta I gotta bring Zach back to play today. <laughs> we yeah, we've got the yin and yang here. Zach's like, give me this, give me give me a story about this. Um, no, but I'm kind of wondering how soon did you know you're going to be a pro? Is this something you thought about after your freshman year or? Um, was it really only something that was possible after this year? I'm, I'm wondering, was it the combine or was there another point where you were like, yeah, this is it, I'm making the jump? Uh, I mean, if you ask my parents, I've been saying I want to be a professional athlete since I was two. And I've said it my whole life that that's what I wanted to do with my life. But the reality probably set in um, that, I could, that could possibly become a dream in my junior year of high school. Um, when I started training with St. Louis FC, the USL team that used to be here, um, I started training with them, and I went on some trials to Atlanta um, and sport in Kansas City. So I kind of got a taste of that water. 
Um, but then, you know, Kalish and uh, Kevin Stoll and Chris Burr say, you know, they said that I'd have the possibility within two or three years, they thought, that I could make that jump to, to the MLS. Um, so it's kind of always been in the back of my, he my head, but I'd say just kind of during, during this season, you know, with agents reaching out and tell, tell me the possibility of it was when it really started to set in. Was there any thought that, or I not thought, thought, or maybe kind of wish that maybe you could go one more season and then and pull the homegrown with uh, St. Louis City? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's St. Louis is my hometown. It's always been, and you know, it'd be it'd be awesome to play for them. But my mom always said, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So, you know, I everyone I was I was talking to said, you know, this is an opportunity that. You know, not many people get, and it's a good opportunity sitting in front of you. So, you know, down the road I could get traded there or um, I could sign there after once my contract's up. But, you know, also I thought about it because the way I ended with SLU last year was, was pretty heart heartbreaking. And, you know, I, the team's going to be good again this year, I believe. And I wanted, wanted, to, win a national, I wanted to win a national championship. So, you know, I, I told my parents I wanted to go pro, and then the week later – I was like, I don't know, I want to go back to college. And so it, it was back and forth, but, you know, the opportunity was just too good to be true to to pass it up. Yeah, I think if you're projecting it's like a mid-first rounder, that's something that uh, that you don't necessarily wait around on. Yeah. Um, so you say the team's going to be good again. I mean, give us as SLU fans a little reassurance here. You know, one of the things that we had read about and, and talked about all season was this team has so much depth. Well, now we're losing most of our starters, you know, to the pros, so... Uh, what what do we look like, especially a goalkeeper next season? Uh, how's the team going to be? Uh, I think, you know, it's it's obviously going to be a lot, big, some big shoes to fill for sure. Um, but you got Johnny Klein back, who you know basically made a lot of stuff happen for us. Um, you got Christian Blandia, who's you know played every game the past two years, starting starting midfielder. Um, and you got freshmen that you know that I think will f fill the shoes right away. Um, you know, it's, it's going to take, I think, a little bit of time, which hoping this fall or this spring that, you know, they'll, they'll get to test their waters because I know they're playing some good competition this spring. Um, so I, I think these freshmen will get the experience. And, you know, I've trained with them every day and they're really good soccer players, um, athletes as well. So, you know, I, with Kippy being gone, I, I know might not fill up to Kippy's shoes in one year, but, you know, down the road, I think there's some freshmen that will that will play some big minutes um, in years to come for sure. And then at the goalkeeping position, you know, there's there's a sophomore Grant or yeah, sophomore Grant Calvert and a freshman you've all said um, that you know, I, if I was out injured, I would I'd trust both them and that you know it's they're gonna battle it out this spring as well. Um, but you know, I I trust both of them and they're I know they're gonna make us proud for sure. You mentioned Kip, and I wanted to talk about the, him and the rest of the uh, the cohort that went into the MLS from from the team. Uh, did you guys have kind of a, a group message going or anything? You know, kind of leading up to the draft, and uh, did you kind of did everybody go where you expected, or any surprises? Or yeah, we know we had a group chat. We had a group chat, and you know, we were talking through even throughout the draft. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I thought you know, Kippy Kippy dropped. Um, I thought he was going to go one or two, to be honest, um, just with conversations I've had with people um, throughout the league and, you know, mock drafts and, you know, teams that teams and what they need. Um, 
I definitely thought he was going to go higher higher than five, but you know I think Austin's actually a good spot for him where he, he could get minutes right away um, if he just shows himself. But no, we I think and I think Isaiah was a little shocked with where he went. You know, he, he also couldn't hear himself when his name was called, which I thought was pretty funny because um, the stream was all messed up. Uh, he, he was like, I didn't hear it until they said my name on uh, the interview, not the interview, but, you know, the broadcasting room. So um, I think those two kind of was, were a little a bit of a surprise each way. Um, but I also think where they went, they'll have a lot of success. And then Simon and I, I think, was was pretty spot on. How how big of a uh, you know as a goalkeeper your center back is is, is you know the, the, he saves you a lot of trouble in the end right how how good we saw him make several last minute tackles in the area how good is he at his recovery and and you know just being a great center back oh he's phenomenal probably one of the best the best I've I've played with um you know he's He's always he'll always come out of nowhere, and same with Chase Neese. You know they both they both make made some tackles where I was like, where where the hell did you come from? Um, or they'll they'll put their body on their line, you know whenever whenever it's needed. Um, but Kippy, you know you got to reel him back in because some he was a center mid uh, three years ago, so he'll wanna he'll wanna drift up into the midfield and kind of just let him roam. But you know he, if you bring him back and he stays dialed in, he's you know I think he's one of the best there is out there. What's next for you? Um, what would, like next steps in terms of transitioning to to Columbus? Uh, you move there soon. It looks like you're in a hotel now. What's uh what, what what's coming up next? Yeah, so got here yesterday last night. Um, had tests, some physical testing uh, this morning, physical, and then some performance testing, um, and then I got it as well tomorrow. But then we go to uh, Fort Lauderdale on Tuesday, um, and then we're there for two weeks. We come back to Columbus. Um, for six days, I believe, and then we head out to South Carolina um, for another two weeks and come back, and then we, we're right into, right into the season. So right now, I'm just kind of settling into Columbus. Um, but then when, I, when we get back from Florida, I'm going to start looking for an apartment, I'm trying to settle down here, and, you know, hopefully hopefully I stay here for the year. It's a nice town. I, I like Columbus. I'm uh, 100 miles down the road in Cincinnati, uh, I know there's a bit of a rivalry with FC Cincinnati, uh, although FCC is not not too good yet. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a good town. So I, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it there. It definitely treated me well the past 24 hours. Good. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Patrick's uh, first uh, Ohio Derby. I think that'd be a good good reason to come up to Cincinnati. They call it the the hell is real. Um, uh, right. I don't know if it's hell is real, right? They just call it hell is real because there's a, a kind of infamous billboard about halfway between the cities on the highway. It's like a, and it says hell, it just says hell is real. And so the soccer teams have kind of taken that on and that's what they call the rivalry. That's pretty funny. I did not know that. But. Yeah. Uh, before, uh, if I let you go and didn't ask you about Sam Rowan, I'd be not doing a very good job. <laughs> So Sam, Sam, Sam and I are distantly, I couldn't even tell you how I just, my mom's like, ah, oh, your cousin. And I'm like, I don't know, mom. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, he's headed to Belmont. How, how much were you looking at Nashville? Uh, cause oh. I know you guys are kind of boys. 
yeah, he's all, actually also my cousin. He's, he's my second or third. Um, my His grandma and my grandma are cousins. So there's there's some connection down the line there. But, you know, <laughs> it was pretty funny because, you know, he was over at my house on, on draft day. And um, he, when Nashville's pick came up, you just heard him on the sidelines. Please, please, please. Or like him just saying a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I, I would have I loved it. And I've been to Nashville. It's a great city. And um, a kid I used to play with, Jack Mares, who's also a phenomenal center back, is is up there as well. And, you know, Joe Willis, who's also a St. Louis native goalkeeper, um, is, is a starter there. And it would have been awesome to obviously learn under him. Um, also came, came from the same goalie coach and stuff. So there was a lot of connection up in Nashville, which, which would have been a cool landing spot. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm happy where I'm at, but it would have been cool to go there as well. Well, that's awesome, man. Hey, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and uh, uh, hopefully you'll be uh, either uh, coming to play a road game here in St. Louis or, or somewhere, maybe Sporting KC, and uh, we'll get to catch you in action live in the MLS, man. It's awesome. This, this uh, that, that day was really cool for, for a couple of, you know, Billiken soccer fans, people that followed the program for a while. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, and, and uh, we know you'll make us proud. Yeah. Yeah, congrats, uh, man. You. Good luck. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Bye, Pete. Let's uh, let's take things over to the women's basketball side of things. Uh, they finally got a game. I feel I feel so bad lately. Like I was thinking about it today. I'm like, oh, we're gonna talk women's basketball. We haven't done that in like two months. I know I've, I've kind of you, you kind of get lazy and, and forget about, uh, you know, exactly what's going on and where they are and what's what um, it's it, it it's it's really been a blow. It reminds me how much of a blow it's been to fans to have these shut, long shutdowns in the middle of the season. Right. I mean, fan interest is a really fickle thing, especially when you're talking about a sport that's not necessarily a primary sport that's on TV all the time or getting a lot of media attention. You have to you have to work to follow it. And, uh, and unfortunately, they've been, they've been shut down for about four weeks now. And this is not necessarily the game or the place that you, uh, you want to come back from a long pause from. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in our open. You know, this, it's when, when you and I are, are, you know, having conversations about how difficult it is to, you know, keep up with the men's basketball and just, you know, find the, find the passion some days for, for, you know, that, you know, is there, but you know, uh, it's a sport that's not accustomed. Like, like you said, a, it's not, it, it, it's also not accustomed to schedule change, right? Like sure. baseball, we've, you know, we're used to a rain out every now and then, um, or, uh, you know, pause and, and play, but with, with basketball, like, I mean, if, if your team's not killing it this season, uh, it's got to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and this team's had a lot of bad luck, um, you know, injury wise and otherwise this season. So, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, we try and follow it as much as we can. And unfortunately, there's just been nothing to talk about the past few weeks. But now they're back and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a rough return, but hopefully they can uh, right the ship here soon. But let's get into it. Yeah, um, they played for the Arch Baron Cup Women's Basketball Edition. Um, and uh, they dropped a 77-59 game at Dayton on Sunday, the 16th of January. 
one thing I think you have to note is that the Billikens did actually go into Dayton last year and won by eight. Uh, yeah. And that ended uh, almost an almost 40 game home conference winning streak for Dayton. So, I mean, nobody goes into Dayton in the Atlantic 10 and expects to win. Yeah, that was huge. Dayton in recent years really has been the um, the number one in this conference. Um, yeah, with, they've, with, the, uh, with the exit of Xavier. Uh, right, that's right. They've won the league outright and won the tournament quite a few times. They, they've, they've just really been the, the team to beat in conference. So that, that win last year was huge. And it kind of felt like, you know, no, Dayton wasn't as strong as they were two seasons ago. Um, but it kind of felt like we were trending in the right direction and maybe they were getting a little softer at just the right time to make them a little more vulnerable. It kind of felt like the top of the league with, with Fordham's women's team emerging a little bit, felt like the top of the league was tightening up a little bit. And unfortunately, the way the season has gone for SLU, we've kind of dropped out of that conversation, at least for this year. Um, hopefully over the longer term, that changes though. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they returned today and um it was, it was a rough game. You know, um, Dayton's just got a lot of depth. SLU is injury depleted, as we've talked about a lot. And uh, the, their, their size and their depth really got to them over the course of this game. Yeah, it felt like one of those games where the Billikens just couldn't keep up off the blocks. Yeah. Um, they got into a groove, uh, you know, played Dayton well in the second and third, but, and then in the fourth, it just, it kind of, uh, went the, they didn't finish the way you know they finished the way they started the game uh, not well and uh, that those but those two that second and third it felt like the Billikens had every opportunity to really put pressure on Dayton uh, as far as closing the score gap and they just could never do it um, you would either be a turnover or um, you know uh, an ill advised not an ill advised shot but a tough shot. So Dayton really played them well. Dayton had a lot of length in this one, you know, a lot of length over over the Billikens. You've got smaller guards on the Billikens in, in Marissa Warren and uh, Kaija Harbison. Uh, I mean, everybody but Brooke Flowers on this team is undersized. Yeah, that's that's true. This is a this is a game where you absolutely need MST. Um, she was good in this game last season, and a big reason we won at Dayton. Um, and then SLU also has. Um, to as kind of an aside, but SLU has some help coming. They do they do have now two mid-season signings of of players coming in um, who will help, but they're waiting on NCAA waivers to play this season. They would play the rest of the year. Um, you know, they've already enrolled in school and everything uh, if if they're allowed. So if we can get those those players in, reinforcements, some help on the way. I don't know. We'll see. It might it might not be until next season that we get them. Um, but regardless, we were, you know, a little overmatched in this game. Slew was, um, you know, you had a good shooting performance from Harbison. She had 24 on 10 of 18 from the field. She did have six turnovers and then flowers, um, you know, despite Dayton's size flowers did have six blocks and, uh, 10 points and nine rebounds to go along with it. But when Dayton out rebounds Slew by an almost two to one margin, you know, 49 to 25, that's just hard to keep up with, not to mention 15 offensive rebounds to Slew's two, um, creating a lot of second chances for them. I really dislike the the three-headed monster on Dayton. I really, like, uh, Makaira <laughs> Cook, I don't, I don't know much, I don't know enough about Makaira Cook. She scored 27 points in this game. 
I can't stand Waylon, Jacone, and Magasa. I hate all three of them. They are, I just, I, I have, I have really strong opinions on them, and I, I don't, I, I've seen them play maybe three times. I, Waylon, I just dislike them. Waylon is one of those names. She's a grad student now, so she, yeah. she, she's been there a long time and feels like she's been there since we joined the A10. I just feel like every year we play Dayton, I see Waylon's name at the top of the box score. So yeah, she's definitely one of those players. Yeah, I think we're getting we're getting a lot of the Perry Ellis uh, phenomenon <laughs> uh, with everything that's happened with with adding years and what a, it's just it's a mess. It really is. But it yeah, is. I mean, you it can't is. you can't uh, against a team like Dayton, you can't start the way they did. You can't put yourself in an early hole like that. Yeah, and, and a, a good way to do that is not making a three-pointer in the first half. Slew was 0 for 6 in the first half and not getting to the free-throw line. Slew didn't shoot a free-throw until the third quarter. You know, our men's team, I want to say it was a game at uh, Richmond back in the Majerus days. It may have been the same season where we scored 20 at, at GW. We had a game where we only scored two-pointers. Um, no wow. threes, no free-throws. I think they were like I don't remember what the, the three-point attempts were, but they, they barely got to the line and, and just missed all two or three free throws, whatever they had. And that's kind of what Slew's women did here in the first half. And it reminded me how rare that is and how weird that is and how not a recipe for winning that is in college basketball in 2022. Yeah, it really isn't. Um, but, you know, Kaiser Harbison looked like Kaiser Harbison um, still playing her heart out. And uh, Marissa Warren, uh, looked really good in this one, uh, in, in the flashes of, of good that we had. Um, but, uh, you know, you get killed on the boards. Uh, points in the paint, not bad. Uh, the Billikens only, uh, were only beaten in that category by about, by two, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, you know, it, it, this is a team that's missing, again, I th- I mean, it's what I've been trying, we've, I've been trying to tell people when people get upset about, whatever's going on in the men's team. Dude, we don't have a, a difference. Like, we're missing a, a, one of our main big difference makers. Yeah, like, it's true. I don't know. It, not, it's it's true. not the team that we're supposed to be out there. So. Both of these teams were dealt basically the same blow in the beginning of the year. And uh, we every, every single game, you're reminded of that. Like, uh, how nice would it be to have MST in this game? How nice would it be to have Javante Perkins in that game? You know, they, they always seem to be that piece because of the way the roster has been constructed. It's very obvious what your missing piece is from game to game. Uh, let's talk about the additions of the roster. I know we discussed uh, Ronnie Nawara um, on the show, but I don't believe we've talked about Anna Maria Prifty. Um, yeah, right. what... what what do you know? What have you seen about these uh, about these two additions? Because it's they look like like impact players on on the surface. Yeah, and and I will admit to not being able to find a whole lot of, uh, about them. You know, Anna Maria uh, Prifty. I, I don't. I'm not sure if we're pronouncing her last name right, but um, she is from Greece. So an international player is naturally not going to have a, a ton of information available. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot about her on Twitter. She does play for the Greek um, in their national team program for the under 18 team. Uh, you know, she's six foot tall. Um, she will come in as a freshman with four years of eligibility. 
And, um, and so she, she should add some nice depth to this team right away. If she can get in there and play uh, Ronnie Nora, I know we've covered her before. Mm-hmm. She's the younger sister of Milwaukee Bucks player, Jordan Nora uh, went to Georgia tech and opted out um, last season, um, you know, the COVID year, and then um, opted to transfer this season. So she committed to SLU back in the fall and signed, um, hoping to become um, an immediate, um, immediately eligible player. So there's a chance we could have two more players down down the stretch here if uh, if everything goes as planned. But um, I don't know, any, anything I'm missing on either of them? No, I do think it's interesting that the, the Billikens have added um... – uh, two players of, uh, you know, foreign descent or not foreign descent, but foreign um, citizenship, I guess. Um, you know, you got Saval Gol and and now Ana Maria, and I think uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of trend. Yeah, it is, um, and uh, you know, I think. I think that's just kind of what we're seeing in basketball in general. You know, uh, we've seen this in our men's team too. We always have international players. It's a, it's a global game. And uh, if you're not, if you're not recruiting the whole world, you're probably missing something. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm wondering what the, uh, what the change is. I wonder if it has something to do with, with Brittany Lang joining the, uh, the, the coaching staff. Um, She's the only change since, um, you know, uh, you know that that has happened prior to uh, adding to uh, two internationals because I don't think we've had one uh, up until this point. So uh, under a, Stone, I mean under Stone. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm racking my brain now, but I'll that that is something that merits a little more investigation on our part. So we'll have to follow up on that in uh, in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, coming up for the Bills. Uh, uh, a couple games, hopefully. <laughs> um, Wednesday, the 19th, uh, against St. Bonaventure at home. Uh, and then Saturday at home, the 22nd, versus Duquesne. Uh, St. Bonaventure comes in with an 8-6 and six record, 0-4 in conference. Uh, Duquesne, 6-10, and 1-3 in conference. Even a depleted Billikens team should should do well in these two games, I think. I think these are the two games you're going to want to have to, to get back on that horse and, and start trying to rebuild this season in conference. Two lower tier teams coming in uh, at home. Um, definitely feels like the formula for kind of getting back on track. St. Bonaventure, we talked about them in the preseason. Having that, um, I think that at the time they were eight and two or eight and three, but they had a net ranking of like 255 or 260 or something like that. So um, their record looked good on paper, was was kind of fool's gold because they play such a bad schedule. And now they've come to the A-10 and started 0-4 and, and kind of shown that to be true. Um, Duquesne never really was was that good, 6-10, and 1-3. and three. Um, Both of these teams are beatable, even with a depleted roster. So, um, so yeah, you, you hope to see some uh, a couple pretty good games out of SLU here. And hopefully they've gotten that, that get-back game. You know, maybe you're a little bit colder. Uh, you know, trying to get back to form, play with one another again. Hopefully they've gotten that out of their system, um, you know, because by the time they play this Bonaventure game, that will be basically 30 days since the time of their, uh, of their last game previous, you know, n- not including the one they just played at Dayton, but, you know, it's, it's been a month since they've really been playing basketball regularly. And, um, and it, it ho- hopefully these are the, the games that, 
get them back on track. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's I'm I'm hoping that they can they can kind of resurrect them in the uh, in the conference play. All right, guys. Well, that's that's it for us. Um, make sure you're following us on social. Make sure you're subscribing on all platforms. Uh, and and watch the YouTube every now and then. It's kind of fun sometimes to to. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm my facial expressions kind of tell a, a a bigger picture, I think, than than just my. Uh, my audio so uh, but yeah, yeah check us out everywhere on twitter midtown mad pod uh zach miller mmp peter is a tweeter uh all that good stuff thank you guys so much for listening go bills go bills, go bills.